Hello, and welcome to another message from Aldinga Bay Baptist Church. If you'd like to find out more about us or what we believe, please visit aldingabaybaptist.org.au. Uh, we hope that you stick around because uh, it's, it's an important part of uh, churches and just be able to catch up with each other. Let's pray. Father, we thank you that we can come here and for the songs that we've been able to sing. Uh, and uh, just for being here with each other and opening your word is great. We thank you. It's really important. More important sometimes than we would probably give the nod to because we can just take things for granted. But it is important. And Father, we also want to pray for those that aren't here today for various reasons. Uh, we think of uh, our missionaries. We think of Thomas and Joe in Peru, whether they are watching uh, or what they're doing. I pray that you just really encourage them, uh, particularly with Joe's stepdad passing just recently and not being able to be with the family in person. Well, I pray you just encourage them both. May they really just be mindful of your presence and that they're serving you. Help them to make good friends over there in Peru, both the nationals and their own fellow missionaries that they're with, I pray that uh, you just give them some kindred hearts for people that they really feel like they can bounce off of and be the one with and encouraged by and may you use them for the sake of the gospel over there, which is why they're there to promote the gospel. Help them with the practical things like learning of the language and, and all of that. Also think of the pastors in Japan and uh, ask that you watch over them as they seek to uh, help with the church planting administration, children's ministry, and all those things. Lord, I pray that uh, you would really, uh, just that you would be with them, you would encourage their hearts, and that you particularly encourage their hearts by bringing some of the Japanese people to know you as Lord and Saviour. It's one of the most unreached peoples in the world. I pray that uh, the gospel would really be strong, uh, that, Lord, it is strong. I pray that by your power you would work there, and, and that you would just really uh, bring many to yourself. Thank you, Lord. We can open your word today. Help us with this too, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Alrighty. Well, we're starting a new series today uh, on faith, particularly looking at uh, chapters 10 through to 12 of the book of Hebrews, which incorporates probably the best-known chapter in Hebrews, Hebrews chapter 11, which is the grand you know, passage all about the faith of God's people, which is quite inspiring, and I'm hoping that we can unpack some of that over the weeks to come. But we want to look at, I want to look at the subject of faith. We want to look at the subject of faith because it's such an important subject to talk about, really, isn't it? Uh, for two reasons that came to mind pretty quickly this week as I was reflecting on one, it's good to talk about faith because faith matters to God. There's such a litany of verses in the Bible, all about that very subject, isn't it? Faith matters to God. Uh, you know, the, the passages like, for by grace you've been saved through faith. Or Romans 1, the righteous shall live by faith. As Paul's triad which pops up again and again. What's that triad? Remember? It's faith, hope, and love. It just keeps on getting repeated. And then in this passage, Hebrews 11, one of the verses that Chenna read for us was that Without faith, it's impossible to please God. So faith is really important. It matters to God. So it's a good subject to talk about. But secondly, faith is a really good subject to talk about because it will be tried in your life. It will be tested. Well, that's true, isn't it? 
There are going to be times in your life when you're going to say, I thought that God loved me. And so how is it that he has let this happen? Or where on earth is God in the midst of everything that is going on at the moment? Your faith is going to be tested over the long years and decades of your life. And not just once, but it's going to be repeatedly tested. And probably at times you're going to be driven to your knees because there's nowhere else to go and you'll be crying out. And at times, it probably will feel like heaven's not listening. So it's important to talk about the subject of faith for those two reasons, because it matters to God and because it's going to be tested in your life. And the great question is, how can we really survive as people of faith through the grind of life? Okay, that's where it wants to go. How can we survive? Stay on track through the grind of life. And three points this morning in good old Andrew fashion, and that is that uh, we talk about struggle, then we'll talk about faith itself, and then finally the way of endurance. Okay, so that's how it's going to go. So let me unpack it for you. This first of all, uh, the struggle. One of the things about the book of Hebrews, as you open it up and you read it, is that it's written to a people that are struggling. In fact, the immediate context, just before the verses that we read this morning, if you go back to chapter 10, verse 32, uh, this is what you read. The writer says, But recall the former days when after you were enlightened. In other words, I think enlightened means when you became Christians. So he says, Remember those earlier days after just when you became Christians. And he goes on to tell us what it was like for them. You endured a hard struggle with sufferings. Sometimes you were publicly exposed to reproach and affliction. And sometimes it didn't happen to you, but you were partners with those who were treated like that. And he goes on, gives a bit more detail. You had compassion on those who were in prison. And you joyfully, I love this, you joyfully accepted the plundering of your property since you knew that you yourselves had a better possession and an abiding one. Well, that's pretty good, isn't it? Joyfully enduring the plundering of your property. Someone's breaking into your home, taking your things, and you're not faced. But then he goes on and he says, Therefore, do not throw away your confidence which has a great reward, for you have need of endurance, so that when you have done the will of God, you may receive what's promised. It's not too hard to work out what's going on there, really. What's happening is that these people became Christians, they got a hard time, but they actually did pretty well. It's like, that's okay. Maybe they thought, just Jesus is coming again any time now, which is a good thing to think, and we should all think that. But then, as time went on, Jesus didn't come again. And the persecution probably got worse. And now they're starting to feel run down. They're losing their confidence. And so the writer says, you have needed endurance. Don't forget, keep on going. That's really important. It's probably worth giving a bit of background to this. I think it'd be good to know what's actually going on, wouldn't it, amongst these people to whom they're writing. You know, you get a little window and we can appreciate it a bit more. But I have to say that uh, when it comes to the book of Hebrews, we actually don't know a whole lot about entirely what's going on. We don't know who wrote the book of Hebrews, uh, and uh, sort of got chucked in at the end of Paul's writings, uh, but it wasn't written by Paul, it would seem. Uh, we, uh, we don't know who wrote it. We don't exactly know when it was written. Uh, probably 
uh, mid to late first century. Uh, but then thirdly, we don't know where the people were living to whom it was written. So there's usual question marks about it, but there's a, been a lot of research as well, and I think probably the weight tends to land on something like this. Book of Hebrews is written to Jewish Christians. I think it's pretty clear it's written to Jewish Christians because of the whole context, if you know anything about Hebrews, it's very deep on the uh, Old Covenant. Lots of information about the Levitical law. And so it seems that they were Jewish Christians, people that, that come to faith in Christ. And um, these people, most likely it seems, were living in or near Rome itself, the capital, you know, the great, the great city. And most likely, if that's the case, then it's probably written somewhere around 64 to 70 AD. And the reason for that is because that's when the state-sanctioned persecution of Christians began. And it begins with the fire of Rome. You know, many people have heard of that. It was a terrible fire that ripped through Rome and it burned for over a week. And Rome apparently was made up of 14 precincts, and seven of those precincts, historians tell us, Tacitus, the great ancient historian, Roman historian, he says that seven of those 14 precincts were completely destroyed. The people were really angry. Their houses were gone, and they looked at some of the blame, and, and uh, Nero, who is the emperor at the time, you know, he's a little embarrassed, and he blames it on the Christians. It seems that nobody really thought the Christians started it, and we certainly hope not. It's not exactly following Jesus to do something like that. But there's no evidence that the Christians ever started it. And in fact, there's a bit of evidence to say that people really didn't think the Christians actually started it. But nonetheless, they were an outlying group. They were, at that point in time, Christians were an outlying sect that didn't really assimilate very well with Roman society. Not because they were weird or because they were strange, but they didn't assimilate because they refused to worship the emperor, they refused to worship the pagan gods, and they refused to entertain the debaucherous lifestyle, which was part of being a Roman at a particular time. They followed Jesus and they lived differently. And they were seen as, according to the ancients, as enemies of humanity for those reasons. And so the fires of Rome were blamed on them. And soon after that, they were rounded up, many Christians, and horrible things happened to them. Again, Tacitus tells us they were dressed in uh, animal skins and thrown to wild dogs where they were torn to pieces. Or they were crucified just like Jesus. Or thirdly, they were sometimes taken and, and lit alive and used as candles to light the streets of Rome. It's terrible what was happening to them. It's hard to believe, isn't it? So if that's the scenario, it's a good chance that's what it is. Certainly something like that's happening. Or probably Hebrews is written just before it turns to bloodshed and they can see that the writing is on the wall. And so as a result of that, something's happening. And the thing that's happening is that some of these Christians are walking away from Jesus and returning to Judaism, which is still somewhat protected. And others were considering doing the same. And so the writer is talking to them and encouraging them to stay strong in Jesus. And that's really what Hebrews is about. It is a warning against apostasy. That's what we call it when people walk away from Jesus. It's a warning against apostasy. Because things genuinely are grim at this particular time. It's hard to believe how hard it would be. 
But I think it's a really important subject for us as well, because apostasy, unfortunately, is very much alive and well in the 21st century in the Western world. You know, in fact, you just look at the, the figures, what was it, back in the 60s, 80% of people ticked Christian, last census, 2016, right on the new figures, but 2016, 52%. People are walking away from the church. We say, well, that's nominal Christians. Yeah, yeah, but not just nominal Christians. There are people that we would have said are rock-solid leaders in churches like this one that have been walking away from the faith as well. It's been happening, and I reckon, I thought about it, I reckon there's three reasons that come to mind really quickly for me. Some of these I know firsthand as to why people are walking away from the faith. One is disillusionment with the church. You look at the way the church has handled over the decades with the you know, sexual abuse, not so much the Baptists, happy to say, didn't do too poorly in that regard, but across the spectrum, the church didn't do overly well in that regard. And people have said, what is going on? And then there's disillusionment, you know, with the church. The second part of that, I suppose, would be disillusionment with church leaders. You know, people that they really looked up to for very good reason, because they were outstanding. But they found out later on that they were living a double life. Now, I was listening to a podcast this week about exactly that. A great church leader who wasn't so much living a double life, but he had serious issues, it seems, with narcissism and not getting his own way and the difficulty that he caused on people when he didn't get his own way. And, and they said, in that, they said, there were people who converted under his ministry, that went into ministry, became pastors. And those very same people today are no longer not only not pastors, but they're actually not even in the faith, double up the way. They were so disillusioned by what they saw. So one of the reasons is disillusionment with the church. Another reason is the narrative of society. It's not an easy time to be a Christian, is it? Because once Christianity was seen as the great bastion of all that was good and truth in this world, but now it is seen as immoral. And increasingly, as time goes on, because of its views on sexuality, because it seems to be encouraging of the patriarchy, and because of some things around the environment, which is blamed on Christians. And some of those things are beat up, you know, and made more of than what was ever true and have distorted, clear distortions, but some of them are true. Because as Christians, we do, we do sing a different tune. We're dancing to a different drumbeat. Because Jesus is king of this world, and he has rules that he's made that are good for us. And so we say, no, we stand by these things. But it's hard. It can be really hard. It can be a lonely place being a Christian because of the narrative of society. So people are walking away, but for that reason, it just wears you down. I think particularly as a young person, it can wear you down. And then thirdly, people are walking away from the faith because they said, as I said in the introduction, sometimes it feels like God just hasn't shown up. And you know, they've given their lives, and things have not gone the way that they had hoped. And they wonder, does God really care for me? Is he even there? And so those three reasons, it would seem to me, are reasons for why people walk away from Jesus. And maybe there's many others. And maybe you're there today. Maybe that's echoing in your heart because of struggles 
then you've got along those lines. And I think to myself, you know what? There are many things that are difficult to lose. It's, it's hard to lose your freedom. It's hard to lose your money. It's hard to lose your family. It's be terrible to lose your life. But there's one thing that we must never lose because it's more precious than all of those, and that is your faith. Because to lose your faith is to be outside of the grace of God, isn't it? Because right through our time, the only way to be right with God is through faith in Jesus, faith in his promises. To be outside of the grace of God is to lose your faith. It's a really important subject, something worth thinking through. You know, it's true that Jesus said, I'll never lose any of my sheep. But it is possible, it is possible to be somebody that's in the church, for all intents and purposes, looking like we have faith. Maybe even fooling yourself, but not really to have safe and faith in the first place. So we Bible increasingly, or by increasingly, the Bible often encourages us to make sure that we truly belong to Jesus. Look at your life. Make sure that he is king. So the struggle, the struggle is real. It's real for these people and it's real for us. Faith is such an important thing. And the beautiful thing is all we need to do is come to Jesus and truly surrender to him and you know, we are his. But we have to make sure that he really is king of our lives. It's worth asking that question. So point one, the struggle. Point two, faith in itself. There's some great verses in here uh, that we read. Let me just pick up on, on this one of chapter 11. So it sets up the whole scene, doesn't it? Now, faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen. So I guess the question really is, what is faith really? You know, we talk about the illusion of faith, you know, be careful, guard your faith. But what is faith? Really important question, isn't it? I, I was actually watching, watching a doc- documentary with uh, my family. I think it was last year. It was kind of like uh, we're on Netflix, and it was kind of like the Lego documentary or you know series. You know the Lego series where you know you have a Lego man and, and Hamish, and you know everyone built it. Everybody's seen the Lego thing. Everybody gets their Lego out. It was a Lego thing. This is kind of like this, but it wasn't the Lego documentary. It was actually glass blowing. So it was a whole lot more clever than building things out of Lego. Because these people were the best amateur glass blowers in the world, it seems. And they, it, was, it was fascinating what they were doing. They were working with over a thousand degree fires, and heating up the glass, and blowing things, and making these incredible sculptures out of glass, and had all these teams, just like in the Lego series. And, um, and they all had to compete with each other or given an idea, go and make this, and they'd make it. And one of the themes was faith in science. And I was like, oh, was really interesting what came out of that. There were two teams you know, competing off for the winning prize. And one of the teams with faith in science, it sort of said it all, the way that people think about faith. When it came to science, well, so they built these scales, and when it came to science, on one side of the scales, they built this machine with gears and you know, very impressive looking. Yeah, it's what science can build. But on the other side of the scale, representing faith, they had bubbles. You know, bubbles of hot air. It was like, that's faith in science. 
I think what's well, right, that is how we think about faith in this world often, isn't it? Go to the average person on the street, what's faith? So it's probably mysticism. You know, it's, maybe it's you know, just uh, a bit of a leap in the dark. Something without real substance. You know, not like science. You know, that's what faith is. It's kind of, it's very emotion. There's a lot of emotion attached to that. Well, is that really what the Bible's talking about when it talks about faith? It may be in some ways when you read verse 1, you can think, well, maybe it is. You know, faith is the assurance of things hoped for. It talks about hope. The assurance of things hoped for. What's hope? You know, hope is kind of like a lot of people. Most people hope for things. They never come to be. I hope I get a pony for Christmas. Pretty good people that. You know, and unlike Chad, uh, probably uh, most people didn't get a pony. You know, and uh, see, hope's just hope sometimes are just things that we just want. But when the Bible talks about hope, it, it actually doesn't use it that way. When the Bible talks about faith, it's not actually talking about just emotion and things without substance. No, not at all, actually. It's talking about something a lot more solid. In fact, hope, which ties in well with faith, you know, faith is the assurance of things hoped for. So hope in the Bible is actually something which is a certain expectation. It's certain. It is certainly going to happen. It's an expectation. It just hasn't actually materialised at this point in time. That's what the Bible talks about when it talks about hope. And the hope, in particular, that it's talking about it's the great hope that we have as, have as Christians. All right? So let, let me just take you through this and help us understand faith and how it works. It's attached to hope. Our hope as Christians is that Jesus is going to come again. That's the great hope. We should be living our lives in the light of that. We should actually wake up every day. It's a very good thing to think, maybe today, Jesus could come again. He certainly is coming again. And when he does, what's going to happen? Well, it's going to be glorious, isn't it? The clouds will roll back. This world will be transformed into all that it was supposed to be. And the graves will crack open and those that have died in Christ will be raised. And the trees will produce what they should produce, and the water will be what it should be, and this world will just be everything it should be because the king is here. Environmentally, it will be perfect. Relationally, it'll be perfect. No more tears. Reunification with those that have gone before us. It's a beautiful thing. Jesus is coming again. The great hope of Christianity. Unashamedly, we sit here and we believe that. We need to be encouraged by that. But the great question that comes next is, why would you believe that? Why would you believe that? Well, because of who God is. That's the point. You see, we believe that, firstly, because God has worked in our hearts and he has given us a faith in the first place if we're really his to believe that. He gives us the gift of faith. But then we believe that because God has actually shown up time and time again and he's fulfilled an enormous amount of promises that would cause us to say, you know what? I believe that Jesus is coming again. And that's the whole thing, isn't it? 
We are broken people, living in a world and we could not save ourselves. But God brings, he speaks into Abraham. He says, I make you a great nation. And through you, all the world is going to be blessed. And what happens? He does. Abraham's a real person, and the nation of Israel is a very real nation. As we all know today, it just has a habit of not going away, of being so persecuted, but not going away, because they are the people of God, and God was at work through that nation. And they failed, and they disappointed, and they didn't live up, and all of those things. But through them, the great promises, one day the great king is going to come. See, we can read this stuff because it was written down in the Bible for thousands of years leading up to the point of the birth of Jesus. So why should we have faith, you know, in a future return, the great hope of Jesus? Because look at the story of this world. Jesus has changed this world. You can't argue with that, surely, although many people will try and say Jesus didn't exist, but... It is a ridiculous argument because he clearly did. The best historians of this world will say, unquestionably, he changed this world. It was turned on its head. And it was turned on its head because he rose from the dead. He went to the cross and died for you because you're in trouble and I'm in trouble. He died, took our sins, gave us his righteousness, and he rose victorious. And on that basis, the church was born. And here we are today. So, why should we? have faith. We have faith because of all that God has done. I love this quote. I gave it a few weeks ago. Too. I read it. I bought a book on seven reasons to uh, what was it? Rediscover your faith? Or it's kind of like or discover faith, rediscover faith. And it's, the book was worth just one quote. I've never read it before, but Albert Einstein back in the day, interviewer said, you accept the historical existence of Jesus? And Einstein I don't really know what he said on his faith, but he going this, he said, unquestionably, I accept the historical existence of Jesus. No one can read the Gospels without feeling the actual presence of Jesus. His personality pulsates in every word. No myth is filled with such life. I have to say, I, I like that quote, not just because Einstein said it, but I like it, because it's true. That's exactly how I feel. I read the Bible, I say, wow, look at these Gospel stories. They actually hold together. They're talking about a place and a time and they name people and historically it all checks out and it's, it's changed the world. So faith, how does it go again? Let me read those words. Our faith is the assurance of things hopeful. It is the conviction of things not seen. We look to the future and we say, I can believe that. Not because it's just some hot air and bubbles, because there's real substance to this. In fact, you better have a pretty good argument the other way before you dismiss it, because it is worth hanging your life on. Then verse 6, without faith it's impossible to please him. For whoever would draw near to God must believe that he exists and rewards those who trust him, who sees him. I think that Faith essentially is just really saying God is trustworthy. He's trustworthy, so I'm going to trust Him with my life, no matter what might come. We need that because there's a very real struggle 
But in the midst of the struggle, we need to come back and say, I can trust this. I need to hear this. I need to think. I need to think. I put in the newsletter this week a quote from Martin Lloyd Jones, at least some of it. This is more full, but I really like it. He was preaching from Matthew 6, which is that passage about birds of the air, you know, grass, don't worry. But what he says here is all about faith, and it's, it's beautiful. Just follow along. He says, Faith according to our Lord's teaching in this paragraph is primarily thinking. And the whole trouble with a man of little faith is that he does not think. He allows circumstances to bludgeon him. He must spend more time studying our Lord's lesson in observation and deduction. The Bible is full of logic, and we must never think of faith as something purely mystical. We do not just sit down in an armchair and expect marvelous things to happen to us. That is not Christian faith. Christian faith is essentially thinking. Look at the birds of the air. Think about them. Draw your deductions. Look at the grass. Look at the lilies of the field. Consider them. Faith, if you like, can be defined like this. Is a man insisting upon thinking when everything else seems to turn into bludgeon and knock him down in an intellectual sense? The trouble with the person of little faith is that instead of controlling his own thought, his thought is being controlled by something else. I think it was worth coming this morning just to hear Martin Lloyd Jones on that because that's such a beautiful thought, isn't it? But his faith and his thinking, his remembering, his trusting God. It's hearing, faith is an assurance of things put before, the conviction of things not said. Taking God in His Word, He calls us to do that. It's good to do a series on faith because it's important to think about it, to work it through. Because there's so many things we want to put us aside, we want to bludgeon us. Last point the way of endurance. You know, as Christians, we are given faith as a gift by God. But, as Martin Lloyd-Jones says, it doesn't mean we sit on our hands. We need to participate with Jesus, with God, the Spirit of God, in order that we might thrive, in order that we might go well. And the way that we participate is by taking advantage of this thing called common grace. Okay? Common grace is the, are the things that God has given us in order that we might really hear the gospel in our lives. And there's a passage here in Hebrews 10 that talks just about that. If we backtrack a little bit to verse 23 of chapter 10, again, it's the context setting up where he's going, it's worth hearing. He's writing to these Christians that are getting ready to throw the towel at least thinking about it. He says this, Let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering, for he who promised is faithful. And let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works, not neglecting to meet together as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another, and all the more as you see the day of Jesus' return approaching. See, that's common grace right there. Let's not forsake the assembling of ourselves together. As had become the habit of some in the first century, as has become the habit of some in the 21st century. It's important because 
just common grace. We need to hear the gospel. Because there's lots of things we want to turn us away. We need to read the Bible. We need to pray. We need to encourage each other. That's the beautiful thing about church, isn't it? Church is about a place where we hear the gospel, where we pray, where we sing praises together, and we encourage one another. If if all you ever do is listen to sermons online, it's called a podcast. It's not church. If all we ever do when we come to church is um, meet together, but not listen to the Word of God, it's called a social club. But church is about coming together, hearing the Word, and being with one another. That's why I talk about gospel and community. What do you mean about church? Gospel and community. It's about both of those things. And I think that how lovely would it be if your best friends, not your only friends, but your best friends are those that are there at church with you? Take some doing. But I think it's what it's supposed to be. I was on a walk this week talking to a friend that I made. He said, one of the things I love about going to church is they think, oh, I want to go to church because I want to catch up with X, Y, and Z. I want to see them. I want to see them. Well, that's really nice. That's it. And that's what church should be, shouldn't it? You know, I want to catch up with those people. I want to encourage them. I want to actually want to hear God's word together. I want to be with those people. And then that brings me to thinking something else. I think sometimes... Church isn't that. That's the problem. And, it, and you sort of want to stay away. It's like self-preservation. And that's why it's so important. It's interesting, isn't it? You read through the gospel, the gospels of the New Testament letters, rather. Read through the New Testament letters. And how often do we hear Paul or Peter telling us things like, put off the old self, put on the new self. Don't be conceited. Don't be worried about vain glory. Be humble. Love one another. Don't gossip. Don't run them down. Don't judge one another. But rather, let's build each other up. Let's encourage each other. Let's not wrangle about words of uncertainty, but let's point to Jesus. Let's think about the core. Let's remember that and keep that at the very centre. Let's be gracious toward one another. See, too often is the case that we have somebody in the gun and we don't mind telling somebody else about that. But what does that do? It destroys the work of God. Because we're not living in a gospel community. We're living as a community that is anything but a gospel community. But we have a better idea of what we can about this church than that. A place where we genuinely love each other, we embrace each other, and we point each other to Jesus. We don't just write a lot of bad words about each other, but we think very carefully before we do that. Because the church is common grace, in order that we might thrive in a world that wants to bludgeon us and destroy us. So how can we endure as people of faith in a world that is really difficult? 
Well, it's by trusting God and believing his promises, encouraging one another, and helping each other to see the gospel and to hear the gospel throughout our lives. But please, Jesus, may we continue to be better with that so that we can shine as a light in this community. Let's pray. It's so good to look at a passage like this, Father, in a book that is written to people that are really hurting. And so it becomes real because we see their pain and we feel their pain in our own ways. But may we be truly people of faith. Help us as we work our way through this text over the weeks to come. Help us today, though, to take home some of the things we've learned. that you might really shine in our own hearts in this church in a great way.